So full disclosure, I'm a percussion guy, and I love this show. I was really excited to fanboy with my friends Tracy over this show. Um, I can picture it just off from the soundtrack. The guy doing the Northern Lights gang sign right now. They ripple. They get into their poses. Right? You can all picture that. There is a mood that they created with the show that really captured us. And I think with a lot of shows, people say, you know, you had to be there to experience it. And I'm sure this was an incredible experience. Uh, but I, I was not there for this one. Um, but it is one of those rare occasions where I, I can and, and actually I do enjoy watching the show on my phone or on my iPad or wherever. Um, this show grips you, right? It, it takes you to a different place. Today on this episode, we are going to take a much deeper look into design and have a much deeper discussion on design. We get into the holistic approach to developing a program of this caliber. And I'm really happy I got to sit down and spend a long chunk of time talking in detail about this show with, with my good friend Tracy Wooden. Without further ado, Northern Lights 2006, Meditation in Memory of John Lennon. Enjoy. off with the last historical podcast was you guys left the Northmont program and moved out to Portland. So why don't you talk about, and we'll, we'll briefly do some history here and, and we'll get into the Imagine show, but as always with these podcasts, I, I want to hear about the building process and how you guys got to that point. So um, talk a little bit about the move to Portland and, and what that looked like for the team? Uh, well, the move to Portland was pretty rough. Um, it, <clears throat> it was like um, this big U-Haul and we had, we drove one car and we put my car up on a trailer. Um, we had somebody from um, the board out there um, that actually flew out, met us in Dayton and helped us drive. So we had, three people in two vehicles. Um, and we tried to make that trek in three days. Um, and once we got out there, we found out the very next day after we woke up, I think we got in at like 3 AM <clears throat> that we had not been hired by the board. <laughs> and here <laughs> we packed up. Wait a second. <laughs> okay. Um, so you were recruited 
by somebody yes. after Northmont, um, and obviously some really strong years there. Um, and if people haven't listened to the, the Dante's Inferno uh, podcast, um, definitely go back and, and this will help connect the dots. But so you guys, you guys wrapped up this iconic show, um, Dante's Inferno, killer program, um, left that program um, after the next fall season and were recruited by the program out there, which was called Everybody at the time, right? Yeah, it was about a year later after we left. We okay. stayed in Dayton and worked with local groups. Um, yep. And to be honest with you, I kind of liked it. Um, but it, yeah, we went back in the game again. And then I talked to a few people um, that I know in the activity from different places and just put the word out that we were looking to move somewhere. And after we left Northmont, Joe and I decided we were going to stay together no matter what, just because of our past success. And we were very comfortable with each other and what each other did. We complete trust, all that stuff. And, um, and we got, you know, recruited. And as you say, and we moved out there and got out the next day that we weren't actually hired and um, by the board. Um, and I hadn't, I really wasn't doing the communication with the program. It was more Joe talking with people. So I was kind of in the dark about what was going on. And, um, and then after we met with the CEO um, and a few other people, basically by, we were out there a month, like completely broke too. I mean, that, that move out there was difficult. It was one of the hardest things I've ever been through in my life um, emotionally. And we, it said our goodbyes to everybody in Dayton and I couldn't call him like two weeks later and say, um, we didn't get hired and we're kind of stuck out here 2000 miles away right. after it's like, yeah, we got this gig independent world. Here we go. And then all of a sudden, um, so I, so we really couldn't tell anybody yeah. and, um, just had to kind of eat it. And then about a month later, you know, we're staying out there and, um, and, um, and then eventually started making money the minute I started working with high school groups and stuff like that. And, um, um, and of course you get hired, um, to work with everybody winter guard. And, um, they had three at the time and a and open in a world. And we were working with all three. Um, I was originally hired as the rifle guy, as the rifle tech, um, in 2000, um, uh, which I find funny right now. Um, I know. <laughs> I, and, just, <laughs> I don't and, hear you use the term tech very often, so it's just even funny to hear you say rifle tech because that's right. just not how you yes. roll. <laughs> right. It's not at all. And um, so they already had a director. They already had a um, – they already had staff in place that we sort of like inherited. And we didn't know them. We just had to trust what we were being told about these people. And that first year we were, we had people basically in positions that where they didn't belong. And, um, we had hired Stanley Kanab to do the movement. Uh, he lived in Seattle and take the train down. And, um, I was basically in charge of, you know, all the training, setting up all the exercises on equipment and, and hired his rifle guy. And, um, it, it took us a while to figure out where everybody belonged on staff. And, um, there was the way the organization was set up is there was an executive director 
And in addition to that, there was a director placed in charge of each of the A Open and World groups. And um, then by the end of that first year, I was doing the, I took over the itineraries for the weekends when we traveled. Um, I was talking to the group about how we were going to rehearse and all those kind of things. And by the end of that first year, I was asked by the CEO, by Joe, by the other staff people, if I would take over as director. And of course I did. Yeah. Um, and, and I still was in charge of the training um, and those kind of things. Um, and I think that first year Joe was running rehearsal. And the second year I was there, when we changed the name to Northern Lights, um, that's when I took over and started running ensemble. The name Everybody, by the way, I think was probably a joke. Like, with the people that were there before me, like, um, you know, like, basically so in retreat, it would be like, and in third place or whatever is everybody. Ha, 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 right? And the next year oh, is everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, and I checked them into a show that year. Um, we, we went to... Um, the Mideast Regional, we flew them back to Dayton, um, partially to get, to get them that experience. And we could afford it and those kind of things. But plus, Joe and I wanted to go home and see our family. And, yeah, go to and Frickers, show, show, have some chicken Yeah, and go to beer. Frickers. That's right. And then show everybody our new project. And um, cool. so that was fun. And I'm checking them in at the show. And <clears throat> they're like, um, yeah, what's the name of your group, sir? I'm like, um, everybody. And she actually looks at me and she said, sir, I know you work with a lot of groups, but I need to know the unit's name so I can check you in. Oh, God. And, I just, <laughs> and I just had to take it. I, I just shook my head. Oh, and I said, I said, the name of the group is called Everybody. Oh, sorry. I see it right here. I'm like, we got to change this. This is horrible. Yeah. Um, and so the next year we changed it to Northern Lights. And that was easy to come up with because that was actually the name of the organization that was funding the group. Oh, right. And um, so, yeah, and it sounded much better and fitting for us being up north. And we actually saw the Northern Lights a few times while I lived there, um, a couple of times. And um, it was fitting, I thought, and sounded better. And um, But that's basically why we changed the name. Yeah, now did, did were there people that kind of I mean people don't like change like that I mean was that was there well, a lot of pushback time, there I mean I guess people had jackets you know they had you know well yeah well we got the new ones um we sure. didn't really get any pushback from the kids and probably with the staff some of them may have not have liked it but um we basically after that first year we reorganized and put everybody staff wise where they belonged and that next year we had an open guard and a world guard um, only. And um, a lot of people left the organization and sort of retired from it. I don't remember them being any fights or anybody getting fired. It was more like we're moving on as we were restructuring it. Yep. And, um, and by that time there was no pushback really, because um, you know, that's basically when Joe and I really took ownership of that organization and um and we have, people were followed just because they saw the competitive difference. Um, yeah. I think they were like close to not making finals the year before they made it. I don't remember what place they were, but we ended up, I think we were like 
tied for third in prelims and fourth in finals or barely fourth in finals. Yeah. That very next year. So we moved them up very quickly and the open guard that year, that first year too, went from never making finals to fourth. And I think they were closer to third than the world guard was. I think they were out of third place by only like a 10th of a point. So we had everybody's trust. Um, So that, yeah, so we were able to do the things that we wanted to do. And um, and even with the membership that first year, it was like <clears throat> running into a brick wall. Um, we were there for a different reason than a lot of the members were. And they had to get used to the new system on how we were operating because we take Color Guard very seriously. And we want them to always be professional. And a lot of the people on their, uh, of the performers, their motivation to be there was just different than that. And so um, it took a lot of patience. Um, and I even thought, like, I'm going to tell the story one day to Northern Lights of what I actually had performers say to me this first year, and they're going to laugh. And, of course, that ended up being the case. Um, and um, right. we got a lot of – um, oh, it was stuff like, uh, we don't like this part. We want you to change it. <laughs> okay. And I would respond with five. And then I would say six and then I just start counting <laughs> and um, <laughs> the five, will sh- five will shut up any color guard anywhere. All you have to do is say five and the room gets quiet. Um, yeah. It's like, Oh, they just got five uh, just because their brains are in tune to that. So that, and I, and I understood where they were coming from. Yeah. I'm like, why don't you like about the part? We think it's sketchy. Oh, you mean it's hard. So no, you don't get to say, we, you get to change parts. That's not how we operate here. No. Yeah. Why are we throwing sixes? Well, you have to if you want to be competitive. Well, some of us can't do it right now. I said, no, but you all can. That's called training. So that's what I mean. It's like they were good people. Um, yeah. yeah. But we were there for different reasons. And then by the second year, um, everybody was like on board on what we were doing. And, um, um, and we had like a lot of them come back. Um, and then we just kept moving on from there. Yeah. Now Portland's, a Portland's an interesting pocket of the activity. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really great people up there. Um, but it's one of those places that's on an Island. And I, I know that just because we have a similar thing here in Minnesota, you know, we're on an Island. We're not, you know, Indianapolis is not far away. Dayton is not far away, but it's, it's far enough to where, you know, we, we just don't come into contact with those programs. So, you know, Portland's way up there. Was that a situation where you guys had a, a balance of, you know, kind of local people that came through the program and local programs that you were teaching where, you know, that training kind of spread and, and people were coming into the program or, was it the flip side where you had people actually relocate up there in terms of your membership? Um, There was um, a system in place before we got there where they were giving performers what they called a scholarship, which meant that they didn't have to pay dues. They got a monthly stipend from the program. They even had a van pick them up um, and take them to rehearsal. So they didn't even need a car. And I think their rent was paid for. Wow. Um, and yeah, we were completely and 
entirely against that. And I think they either we changed it immediately or got rid of it or, but it would, there's no way that we would deal with anything like that. So the world guard is mainly imports <clears throat> and, and it kind of stayed that way. We had a few local people in basically the A and the open were the local people. And in the world guard, they were always imports. They always came from somewhere else. And a lot of the, old instructors and people on staff and taught drum corps. And that's where they got a lot of the performers from. And, um, yeah. So, and then it kind of just stayed that way. Um, we always had a handful of locals in the group, but the majority of them always came from some other place. And then we realized after about three or four years that the open guard wasn't feeding into the world guard at all. Um, and, when it came time, trouble staffing it, um, spreading our time thin on uh, making sure that we're doing our job at both. Um, we just ended up getting rid of the open guard entirely uh, because it wasn't really, it, it ended up being small and we were recruiting every year. And the question was, why are we recruiting to do something that obviously this community doesn't need? The yeah. pageantry in Portland um, with the marching bands and with the winter guards, it's a very, very, very small circuit and all the color guards out there for the most part are very small. Um, so it's not like Ohio or Indiana, Florida, SoCal or uh, Texas where there's marching bands everywhere and, and all, and some schools out in Portland decided that they don't want to have a marching band and they don't. Um, the, some of the football stadiums are really like, maybe um, like 20 bleachers tall. So football's yeah. not that big of a deal out there anyway. Right. right. So, yeah, so pageantry out there is very limited. So we didn't have like a lot of draw of local kids and the local kids that we could have gotten, um, they have dance team out there where they use a winter guard floor. They use costuming, they use soundtrack, they use concept, staging. Some of them even spin flag. So that's where a lot of that local talent would have been, but they were in dance team and not in um, color guard to begin with. So pageantry yeah. up there was very small. And so the majority of, like I said, our kids would fly into auditions and we would start three weeks later, which would give them time to move out if they made it. And, um, and then we took it from there, but that's the way it was the entire time that I was there. I think near the end, we only had like maybe two local kids. Okay. Only? Yeah. It's like the majority of them came from everywhere else but there. No, and it's it's one of those draw things where it's like, well, who doesn't want to go live in Portland? <laughs> like it's Right. It's such a cool part of the country and yes, if you're from the Midwest or Texas or whatever, you know, green everywhere and mountains and oh my god, like um yeah, who doesn't want to go move up yeah, to Portland yeah. for a year? Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Are the dogs too much? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Come on. Dobby. Inside. Let's go. Come on. There we go. Let's talk about, um, you know, as this thing built up and, and you know, people were moving up and, and you're getting a lot of imports. Um, you eventually made the decision to go all male in 2004 with the road to perdition show, which is another 
well, we can probably do a whole nother episode on road to perdition, but we should, we can't not talk about it. Um, as it connects through, uh, you know, road to perdition, Shawshank redemption, and then the imagined show. So, you know, we, we really can't not talk about it, but let's talk about the decision to move to all male. Where did, okay. where did that start? Um, well, backing up a little bit. Yeah. When, um, in 2001, we had two things going on. Um, we had hired a, we had a saber tech and I'm not kidding, a rifle tech, a movement tech, a flag tech. We had a system of techs and a rifle tech. And then I ran on ensemble. We had 22 and 23 year old superstars in that color guard. Um, probably the average age was 22 or 23. and like I'm talking the country's best, a lot of the country's best, like superstar performers in that group. And um, so a lot of them were going to be moving on and leaving. Um, the first year, I think we had six boys. I think the second year we had like 11. Um, and yeah, I think about 11, the way I remember it. And we had this system of texts that we were using. And I'm looking at the performance, I'm looking at things, and I disagreed with the whole system that we were using, like the entire system. And um, plus there was like, um, let's see here, um, tension between some of the staff people um, where we were philosophically on a different page with each other. Um, some of them I found to be very cruel and mean while they were teaching. The kind of teachers that, um, controlled by being cruel and by being what am I trying to say here? Yeah. Like snarky um, teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, and it's like, yeah, we really don't roll that way. And so we decided to get rid of some staff people that year. And, and I remember Joe and I talking about it. I'm like, you know what, competitive or not, at least let's be comfortable in our own gym and do things the way that we see fit. Yeah. And so when we went into, 2002 our auditions were on september 13th 2001 which was two days after 9 11 right and so we have all these airport things airport runs that we would normally do and now the country is shut down and we go into auditions somebody can fly there um and I think we only had, I think, 19 audition for the World Guard that year. And basically, you're talking local people or people that had already moved to Portland, um, like returning vets that are from some other place. Yeah. And so um, um, what I did was um, we were going to call everybody that sent in an application because we got in like 80 applications. And back then, we did stuff like that in the mail. And, um, right. so we had like all these applications and I went up to the office and I handed them to our color guard manager. And I said, I want you to call all these kids and ask them if, the, if they're still interested, they can't make it up here, send us a videotape and then we can let them know. And then they can drive up, um, you know, uh, social media wasn't around back then. Oh. Like that's our only form of communication was we got a letter from them in the mail of their audition application and then we have their phone number so we could call them yeah and um so 
I don't even think there were cell phones. I think that's right when cell phones really started coming on strong, yeah. which right around then. Yeah, so 0102, was, cell phone, even email. I mean, email was around, right. but it's not like everybody was checking their email every day. It was like, right. you get an email and it was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you get one yeah. email a day or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so, yeah. Yeah. So, what, so I, I'm going through the applications and I didn't tell anybody this. I didn't tell Joe. I didn't tell um, Justin, our color guard manager. I didn't tell the CEO. I didn't tell any staff people. But I knew the future of the program. We don't need those 23-year-old rock stars coming in. We need a younger group that we can keep and train and teach for a few years. Mm. So I threw away every application of anybody that was um, uh, 21 or older. I threw, I put them in the wow. trash, and I handed him a stack of them, of all eighteen and nineteen year olds, basically. Wait, who does and, that? Um, <laughs> that's nuts. Well, I was, I was looking at the future of the program. No, not, I know, I know. Like, I'm just, yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. It's I was looking for right now, and that's probably what a lot of people would do. Is like, no, we want to get those twenty. No, it's like, do you want a future or do you want one and done? Like right Rock now, stars. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And so we had just learned that lesson from the year before because we had like 10 or 12 great performers age themselves out and you, they didn't go into other programs. They just, they got on with life and jobs and they were out of college or decided they were going to get married or pursue their career or whatever and, um, or move back where they came from and stuff. So yeah, yeah it's like, no. And I think our average age that year was 18.9 was the average age of that guard. Wow. And um, yeah, the year before we were sixth and that year we actually ended up fifth at WGI and we had full 30 members on the floor. Um, that's how we recovered from that. And um, I changed the entire system of teaching, all of it. Uh, we weren't going to be teching anymore. We were going to be teaching things a lot differently and giving them the information to do the phrase properly instead of like looking for mistakes. Um, I'm not going to get too much into that. It's a, all it is. It's the same. That's process a whole other episode. <laughs> right. It's the same process. All I'm going to say is it's the same process. Everybody goes through. We all we're doing is looking at it with different eyes and giving information differently. Um, we're telling the kids what to do instead of what they did wrong. That's anyway, we changed all of that completely. We go to WGI. We are tight. We are clean. We are good. I'm inspired. We took those um, young kids and we actually scored higher and placed higher than the year before. And at that point, and now we're comfortable with all the people in the gym um, and membership um, is, was always great. Like I said, staff people, now we're really getting it on. And then we moved into the next year and now we have 15 boys. Um, and it's like, I don't know why. Um, I have theories about it, um, and I've talked to people about it over the years, but Northern Lights, is, if you were a guy in Color Guard, Northern Lights was like the place these guys wanted to be. And some guys would come out and audition and say, I'm like, so what brought you here? Well, so-and-so told me I should come here. Um, like another instructor from another place. Um, where it's like, I think you'd fit in well, better there than you would here. And um, so we got a lot of guys that way, too. Um, and it just became the, the thing to do. And 
by the time that we got through that next year, which would have been 03, we had 15 boys and 15 girls. Um, and, and again, not on purpose. It, that's just how it ended up. And um, uh, we did even better at WGI than we did the year before. Um, like the whole training, teaching method, everything had changed completely over. We took one of our members off the floor in 02 that was still performing with us. And we had him writing parts while he's a performer. And then in 03, he just got to write parts. And um, so he was really coming on his own at that point in time. And we were very comfortable with him. He was doing a great job. He was learning a ton. Um, and like I said, he was very young. And then we're, we're at WGI getting ready to go into WGI that year. And um, Joe goes, I think we should go all male. And so we had the conversation about it. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a choice of let's go all male. It was, that was the direction the program was already going. Yeah. So not only we, had, we already had 15 boys and I think the average age that year was like 20 years old. Um, the majority of them were coming back and then we knew of a bunch more guys that were coming in. So if we had not done anything or reacted to it at all, what we would have ended up in 04 at auditions would have been, and we're just taking the best that show up. We would have ended up with like um, 22, 23 boys and five girls. Um, we had lost a lot of our older female performers, again, that were aging themselves out. And I think we only had four for sure that we knew were coming back. And at that point, we would have looked at it it would have been a mistake on our part by not seeing what was happening in the program. And we would have made the choice to go all male at that point. Yeah. And then what are those four girls going to do? Like, that's awful. I would never, ever make a decision based on gender for a color guard. Um, and then just females figure it out at that point. Um, given our circumstance, if we actually started telling people that we were going to go all male, um, and letting the world know, not only do we get those 22 or 23 that we were expecting, we're probably going to get a handful more that would like the novelty of that. Yep. And we actually ended up getting like five or six guys that came out of their own age out retirement and decided to come back at like the age of like 24 wow. and perform again. And, um, and I think that next year we ended up with like, I think it was like, I think we ended up with like 25 or 26 guys. I think we probably started with a few more than that. And um, so that's how the whole thing developed. We were just reacting to what we saw the direction of the um, program already going. And when we went to WGI in 03, we started announcing it to everybody that we were running into. And as that rumor mill started, people were coming up and, are you guys going on mail next year? We're like, yes, we are. Yeah. And then after they heard it from us, then it's, you know, did, and then the word started. Well, yeah. And, then everybody um, goes off to do drum corps, and and then yep. that that's starting yep. to trickle in. And then your membership is probably doing drum corps as well. And then maybe some of them uh, are bringing a bringing a friend back. You know, it's it's uh, right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Cool. You you tend to be you tend to go on the lower side in terms of people on staff and all that. Talk a little bit more about why why you err on, on that side of kind of less is more um it's 
it's, I don't look at any system of, here's how you do it. We need a rifle tech, a saber tech, a flag tech, a movement tech, a movement person, a designer, a director, a, like all those jobs that people fill in. Um, Joe and I would have arguments over training where we were all into it or whatever. So it's, it's, and we didn't need an entourage. We didn't need people following us around. We didn't need, we needed people that knew and understood. So if you would just put together the list of everything that a staff needs to do, I think that would be the, the science behind it. And you make all, we need somebody to stage it. We need somebody to choreograph it. We need somebody to do, you know, and you list all the jobs, um, work with the kids, clean the parts, teach them performance, somebody to put them on the bus, somebody to put them in the hotel and check them in at shows. And you list all the requirements and then who can do which things. And once you get all those bases covered, for us, it was three. We had three main people in 04 and 05. We also had um, an equipment manager at all the rehearsals. So I guess that would make four. And then um, I had somebody helping me um, run parts, which would make the fifth person. And um, by the time we got to 06, it, it was down to, it was just down to those three people again. Um, so I'm always willing to take on new staff people if they have something to offer. If they have something to offer, great. Let's have 10 people on staff. Um, but I'm not going to get 10 people on staff just to fill positions that don't necessarily need to be feel, filled. Yeah. Um, so, um, that's the way I've always operated. So it's, um, I don't do the list thing of, Oh, who's the saber tech. He's a rifle tech. And now I'm the director. So I don't know if I can be director. I can run parts. I can run rehearsal. I can check them into shows. I can build the props, <laughs> you know, um, all these things. And if we have people in the gym and we're not all on the same page and the information is being given that's wrong or at the wrong time, they're basically just going to be in the way. So that's the way that we always rolled. And by the time we got to 06, it was um, me as director and we had a choreographer and we had a designer and that was it. That's all we needed. Um, yeah. I was in charge of all the training. Um, I ran the rehearsals. I worked all the parts. And um, it was simple, too. I mean, by the time we got to 06, our training program of equipment and movement were basically married, um, where it felt like it was the same class just doing different stuff. It was the same terminology. It was the same approach. And normally it is, again, I'm looking at what I'm doing. And I'm like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't sit right. Um, and it, like they stretch, they do stuff, they go across the floor. It's all high energy. It's all fun. They're performing. And then people get into block and they hate it. It's awful. And um, the information's different than what you got in a movement class. I made it all the same. And so um, I'd, 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 I'd say that we had... Um, 80% buy-in from all the older members and probably all the younger members that were in that color guard, probably everything that we were talking about went way over their head and they're still scratching their head over stuff like what <laughs> happened. Yeah. But they were doing all the right things. Um, 
they just had never seen a process or been part of it. And imagine your perspective when you're 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that happened as well, too. Well, and but, always being trained um, in this compartmentalized way. And that's one of the things that I, I want to talk about a little bit is the one of the overwhelming com- comments that I heard about uh, Imagine, specifically with Imagine, is that, you know, Northern Lights always had a lot of strength um, and, and uh, almost a focus on equipment um, and uh, virtuosity with equipment. Um, but the beauty that was brought out in this show through movement and through subtlety and through breath um, is really what kind of stands out for people. And so it makes sense to me when you talk about combining and using almost the same terminology um, in, in the training program and not having a difference there and getting everybody on page with that, that energy. Um, that, I mean, that we makes a doing, lot of sense based on the output. Yeah. And those things were like, those things just didn't happen. Those things we talked about them and discussed them. And when we went the decision to go all male, Joe, the first thing he did was, and we're have, now we're not at Frickers anymore. Um, we have this backyard fire pit out in Portland. Yeah. Um, and then it's a, yeah, we still have beer, <laughs> uh, but it's around the fire pit at night and we're grilling out. Um, and we're hanging out outside. That became our new hang at the house. And, um, we always had people over constantly and stuff and good times. So it changed from Ohio into that. And, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about all these things. It's like um, um, people are saying, yeah, man, if you're going all guys, you should go shirtless. And blah. it's like Joe said, I guess I'm not exploiting them. He goes, I'm not exploiting them at all. He, he, uh, he goes, I'm going to put them in dress clothes, which he did. Um, I'm going to put them in dress clothes, and I'm going to pick the most romantic music I can find. And that was road to perdition. Um, it's it's not exploiting the male, um, but again, it's you got to show a strong side, you got to show a soft side, yeah, um, all that stuff. If 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 you want to be that epitome of a man, and we even invented the thing that we called man training back then, and they all wore the t-shirt in performance underneath their clothes every show for the next three years. Was a shirt called man training? They'd warm up at them and stuff, and everybody wanted one, but it was like a member shirt so nobody could have it. Um, <laughs> and um dying for them and um um yeah it's it's that's what we were trying to do so it's not about just it's it's about not exploiting it's about um or changing who they are as people it's you got to show all sides with the choreography we would go in there and we would shape the dynamics the same way that you would do a musical phrase yep where it's going from super tight to super loose um very gentle to super tight within the phrase like so our phrases were contoured back then um and i still go back and look at some of those videos and i'm still shocked by it um about like when you're looking at any individual phrase their ability to control those kind of things and that gets into um performance wise um um a lot of that thing that you're talking about um, where, yeah, you're going to see some strong things. Um, when they jump, they jumped higher. When they landed, they landed softer. Um, when they caught, they caught so hard. 
watching him across the floor was like, I don't know if you've ever been to the Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, what's another <laughs> one? Like um, a horse race. Yeah. <laughs> where you actually feel the power of those thoroughbreds running if you can get down to the track. It's yeah. overwhelming. <laughs> um, it's not just pretty it's or whatever it's like the power is overwhelming and i i was that impressed with with those guards every year like that just watching them rehearse and how they operated and stuff um the thing that we got really dialed in uh once we got into imagine is that's where again the training process is completely married um we have enough members with enough experience that understand all the stuff. Um, and at the same time, that's when we started really looking into and talking about establishing mood and to establish mood, it takes a certain amount of time, which color guards are sort of afraid to do. It's like, we can't go this long without an effect. Um, I remember watching a color guard. It was only about like three or four years ago. Um, the WGI finals. And I'm watching like the first minute or two minutes and I actually well up. I got emotional. There was no effect going on. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, you got me. See, that's, that's, that's how you establish mood. Like, and I was blown away. Um, and that was the only color guard. It was, I'm on to, um, yeah. I don't remember that it was like a thousand cranes or something like that. You know, one of the things you had talked about with, Dante's Inferno in those years at at Northmont and and you and Joe starting to work together is when you did the somewhere show and then you you got into Vietnam and Dante's Inferno you wanted to pull people out of the gym you wanted them to feel right mm -hmm. and um I think there's something you guys locked into especially from a musicality standpoint and breath and and not feeling like you had to be slamming effects down our throats for the whole show to where you guys actually there's i see northern lights in the somewhere show i see basically the essence of what you guys really maxed out at northern lights go go back all the way even to somewhere do you do you see that at all um Yes, it's we've always looked at it as keeping interest. You, we we got to keep people interested the whole time if we want to make them forget they're in the gym. Um, you can't just uh, people look at it like, oh, 30 seconds can't go by without an effect. We have to throw. It's like, no, nah, that's not the way to do it. Um, but we can throw in the middle of it. We, we can still do things and resolve things properly. But um, it's it's about taking the time to establish that mood. Um, and you have to take special care on how fast things are moving, why they're moving at a certain speed, all this kind of things. And it's very difficult to do. And it has to be intentional. It doesn't happen um, by luck. Um, you have to set out to do those kinds of things. And once you do establish that mood, then it's something overwhelming and past what people can put their finger on, why they feel a certain way. And, um, and then when it came time to do the vertical effect and the throw, or throw our stuff across the gym. I think the, uh, in 05, I think we had over 300 exchanges in that show. I think it was over 300. I think somebody counted one time. Yeah. It was over 300. Um, <laughs> and we just kept going with it. Again, establishing mood when people think it's over, we just kept going. Yeah. And kept going and kept going. And then when they thought it was over, then we gave them one more. And then the phrase resolved when the whole guard's on the run 
to catch each other's rifle. Um, and then the place goes ballistic. Um, when we did the, um, the movement section in 06, in the middle, um, the whole dance part. And, and I'm explaining the own performance of the whole thing um, that you have to get right if it's going to affect people. So I'm like, this isn't going to be an issue. When you guys are in performance, this is going to happen. But I said, but the, the boys that we had standing up one at a time, and we had our inside jokes about all, like who we picked them and why. But it, like I said, it's just jokes and stuff. But um, the members that we chose to stand up had to have a certain vulnerability about them as a performer. Yeah. Where they couldn't make a face or an emotion or do anything. They, they just had to stand there and give themselves to the audience. Um, and there wasn't anything extra going on with that because if it would have, it would have destroyed the mood. And... And then the minute we got that done, I think Scott had laid out, Scott Chandler had laid out all the movement stuff there. Um, um, and I think there was only one person standing. Um, Joe and I go in and, and we realized very quickly as we were going through that whole section that the problem was it needed to happen every eight counts. And if it happened every eight counts, um, like at the end of every phrase, we kept it um, um, like unpredictable yeah. Um, as they were going into the ground. So the only way to get a moment like that work, I've gone to places and like, we want a moment like that. I'm like, you, you, I can't, you can't do that here. Why? I said, you don't have the performers. Like it's not as simple as dropping people down and making somebody stand. It's why are they standing? And I said, you can't get in. These kids can't get in, in and out of the ground that quick. Because yeah. you never saw, you, you could never predict where it was going to be. It just happened. And a lot of that was us working on, you've got to get in the ground quicker. You've got to get in the ground quicker. And every time that they laid down, it also had to make a picture. So they had like six dots, I think. They just weren't in block dancing. They had like six dots. Because when we're connecting hands and legs, and they have different body sizes, they have to lay differently. And then when they would stand up, it, we needed to see a block. Right. And so it was always shifting and adjusting based on the shapes that we were making on the ground. And that took so long to figure out because as that one boy is standing, if you can imagine if the picture on the ground is dirty and not clear, well, then you're going to miss the moment. You're going to feel uncomfortable enough to miss the moment. So it's not about being clean. It's about like not robbing the um, priority that's going to make people react to that. And yeah. by the time that we did the progression with Josh in the back, it was game over before it happened. Um, and that was probably the most, I thought it be Josh. I almost thought that we were going to get a standing O in the middle of the show. It was one of those kind of reactions. Um, and it was different than the hanging, the shock effect of the hanging and stuff. It was different because um, oh, yeah. we took people on a journey to get them there. And I had to talk with um, another instructor it came up to me after prelims, yeah, that middle section just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's probably the best part of our show. When, when you're performing at prelims to WGI, it's a very cynical audience. It's yeah. an audience of cynics. It's other instructors that aren't going to get up and clap and scream. It's people judging. Um, even if they're not judging that show, a lot of judges show up to watch to see what's going on. If they're not active, um, 
and it's other instructors and stuff. Uh, independent groups doesn't have like band parents there. So it's, it's not high school kids are competing, doing their own thing or back in the hotel room or at the mall eating lunch or whatever. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's the crowd reaction is a lot different. Um, I'm like, no, it's going to be our best moment in our show. He goes, no, I disagree with you. And so I said to him, I'm like, okay, when I see you here tomorrow night, I said, I, you're going to have to come up to me and say, Hoss, you were right. I was wrong. And, um, and sure enough, I showed up at uh, headquarters and, um, and then I see the head go down and then the walk over and then I made him admit it to me, um, which was really super funny. But, yeah, but again, those kind of things are planned. They're not accidental. Um, they're talked about. Um, uh, we would do exchange series every year, including that year, um, just to build tension into some sort of a release into whatever it was. Um, and yeah, it's like all those things went into the effect of that show. It was method of how those kids were spinning and dancing. It was um, like contouring every phrase that way. It was, it was taking that time length to actually establish mood. And it was our understanding of how effects are produced and why, and why people um, are affected by them. Um, well, and so, yeah, that was, that was it. Yeah. No. And there, there's, there's this balance because there's, there are things that people went absolutely nuts for that is like the most simple thing in the world, or at least it looks super simple. And then, right. but then within the context of crazy virtuosity, uh, crazy exchanges, um, super beautiful movement, um, and really like, uh, like a lot of restraint too. And so, and I think you said something to me once before is, um, you know, we, we, you kind of have to show people how you're designing. Um, it's that whole thing about, you know, being in that, in that mood or being in that moment of like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> and you've strung me along like this far and I'm getting all of it. And I know why you did that. Um, it, you, you know, you almost feel smart as, as an audience member, <laughs> as you're watching it, there, mm -hmm. there's something you guys did there and, and not, not just that year. There's something you guys always dial into where you just take the time and you show you show us the design and it's not literal. It's, it's, it really does capture the mood and, and the moment. Um, and it yeah. also is super the, musical. There is, um, again, these are all conversations that we would have like nonstop throughout the course of all of us working together and stuff. Um, and like I said, they were all thought through. They were all intentional. You just don't get lucky and produce some of these things that you're doing. But you can't just do vertical effects and adrenaline moments yeah. of just hurling stuff across the floor. You've got to, like I said, you've got to take people on a journey. Um, and there are things where we get way too much credit um, as a staff, way too much credit. It's like we didn't attend any of that, but that's kind of cool. Um, and there's certain things where we don't get hardly enough on what we did to actually get there. Um, 
but th- in, in terms of evaluating what we were doing, um, I think um, it's not just scoring and judging and that kind of stuff. It's also like appeal and um, shows that people remember and those kind of things I think are probably more important and what kind of experience that the kids had like along the way to get there. And um, uh, there are so many aspects that go into all those kind of things to produce what we were doing um, where when we're doing the middle section of that show and all the running around um, of pony standing with his leg in the air, he's the needle of a turntable. And we're actually move, have, have all the motion in a circle going around him, like a records playing like an old John Lennon record. Now here's the thing about that. If people got it good, if they didn't get it, that's fine. Because it was still effective on its own. Still a beautiful moment. And I think that yeah. that's that's where people I think um, need need to take a look at things. It's like, why are you doing this? Like, oh well, we're telling the story about. I'm like, yeah, but it's not cool. It's not neat. Um, if it's cool, then if you get it great and the audience feels smart, oh, I see that. That is so cool. And you you included them in your design process. You you're they're like they feel they're part of what's going on, on the floor once they discover things and figure it out. And if they don't still what they're watching is something beautiful and cool and effective. Um, so when we did 04, um, that entire show was in the round to where it didn't matter where you were sitting in that audience, you were getting the same effect as you would if you were sitting in the front at yeah. UD arena, people are watching basically from the front and then wrap around the sides and then the bad tickets are in the back. Um, backside seating and then groups come up and they put up their props and unless you're sitting in front, you don't get it. When we saw that um, arena at in San, San Diego, Diego. Yeah. in 04, we were there for like a convention or a board meeting. Joe looks around. He goes, we're doing the show in the round. He goes, this is crazy. <laughs> we're definitely doing the show in the round. He goes, so we're not just going to entertain half the audience. We're going to entertain everybody in this place. And then putting that show together in the round. I don't know if people all got that. I don't even know if they even understand what it takes training wise. Cause you're teaching orientation at another level. Yeah. You got all their equipment lining up properly. I don't think people understand how hard that is and you can't do it by cleaning. The kids have to understand it. And, um, that took forever. Um, and we entertained people all the way around the entire room. once we got to San Diego, and I think that was like a lot of the appeal of that show. And then if, again, if people saw it, like, oh my gosh, they designed this whole thing in the round. Like the Beatles show Cirque du Soleil in Vegas yeah. is in the round. Yeah. And um, it doesn't matter where you sit. At that point, you don't need the good seat. Um, every, like everywhere you're looking is the show. And, uh, and if people get that, well, then good. They feel smart. Um, they're included in what you're doing. And if they don't get it, it was still a beautiful show. Right. So you don't do one without, without there being a certain aesthetic to what you're doing. So you don't just do things to support the theme unless they're effective on their own if people don't get it. And if you put together the whole show that way, um, then people are going to be reading into stuff that really isn't there. Yeah. And, oh, this represents the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, okay. 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 Not really. No, we never talked about that, but cool. I'm glad you think that. Um, yeah, kind of leaving it open to interpretation. Yeah. And um, 
Well, yeah, so I wonder about I wonder about that too, just with the appeal of the show, because I think you could put that show in front, it, color guard person or not, I could put that in front of my my dad, you know, um, Central Minnesota dude, <laughs> and he would watch it and probably think it's beautiful, and he'd he, he'd stick with it, you know. Um, yeah. I wonder about I I wonder about the the appeal of John Lennon and Imagine too, and that kind of resonating and giving you an implied depth um, or just a lot to work with um, in terms of mood um, did was, was imagine the plan from, from the start of the season or was it more, what, were you trying to create a mood when, when you guys got done with Shawshank Redemption? We, 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 we basically were, Shawshank Redemption was basically, um, we can't do in the round again. We can't do that again. We wanted to keep the same thing going with exchanges and all that kind of stuff. And, and same composer. We ourselves. Uh, yeah. It was and, hot, like absolutely hot back then. It, and it still is, but yeah, Thomas Newman, those and, scores. And that year, from my perspective, was like, yeah, well, I think we – we dropped a few spots and, um, and it's like, I never got the job done. I never got the, I never got to complete my job. Like I felt I did in 04 and 06. I didn't have time. Um, the show wasn't done that year until we were still putting the flag feature on the move on Friday before we competed Saturday at the SoCal regional. And at the end of like February 20th or whatever, it's like, we cannot take this long I think when we did 04, the show was done the second weekend of January. Like the first rough draft, right? Yeah, nice. Um, and then that rough draft the next year, and I just saw the correlation between performance, um, which was not to our standard at all. Um, and we knew that we dropped out of where we could have been. Um, and it was our fault. Um, and so we need more time. That's the way I look at it. And Joe's looking at it like at a different angle. Like if the design was better, that wouldn't matter. I'm like, yeah, but if the performance was there, what you're talking about doesn't matter. And um, so we get into 06 and we are still not decided upon the soundtrack. We are still listening. We are still debating and, Again, that was never my call at Northern Lights, ever. Um, I would help them brainstorm and put in my two cents, but I left it up to them. I was not going to get in their way or say, no, we should do this. But I was always interject my opinion, and I trusted them to do it And um, because Joe is like the soundtrack master of all time. Yeah. So um, we're still playing around with different stuff. And then we bring – we're basically training's done – um, through the month of October, it's the beginning of November, and we don't have the show picked out. Um, we have just imagine um, because of all the different visual references that we could use about John Lennon and all those kind of things. That's kind of how we designed the floor. Um, the costumes were supposed to represent like um, um, that scene where John Lennon and Oko were in bed. And they didn't get out of bed for like this interview and this whole thing. Yeah. So we kind of wanted to make them look pajama-ish, 
but still look professional. Um, and production value had to still be, we can't just put them in PJs out there. And then they'll line up their leg that wrapped around the body. And we had the writing on the floor was um, how John did all of his artwork. And um, that was like a thing of his. And we continued that line up. I think Scott Chandler designed the costumes. And, um, um, but yeah, that's one of the pieces. And so Scott and Jay come up and um, our choreographer's there, Joe is there, and they're, we're arguing about it, about like, well, should we do it or not? Or should we do this? Let's at least get some choreography laid out. Let's play with it, see what we're doing. And I remember saying to them, which um, I'm like, guys, with these, with those performers we have in the gym right now, we could do have, we, like we could do Mary Had a Little Lamb and still score all the points if we wanted to. Like, just make up your mind. Let's go. Let's do this. And they're all looking at me like I'm stupid. I still think that's funny. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was just making the point that it's like, you it, decide whatever you want. It's going to be what we do on the floor and what the performance is going to be that's going to make it happen. And then we found the Kernis stuff about a week later. Um, you know, that whole thing where you go back and lift, you listen to different versions of the same song and yeah. the John Lennon thing's not long enough and so um and it was um um called meditation yep. and um where basically he broke that song down and repeated the same note over and over again and then brought it up instead of playing just the melody and um and then we blended that into the John Lennon so by the time that the melody came in and it's a song that everybody knows and it's so comfortable and so warm yeah. Um, it was just like a breath of fresh air that everybody would feel. That's why we started with the Kernis stuff first before we got into John Lennon. And then it was about like just doing a show that is fun to watch, that looks great, and playing music that everybody likes. Um, and not getting that deep into it. It doesn't need to be an oboe and strings and piano and all the stuff. That sort of sophistication with all these sound effects added. It can just be a pop song from like the, I think it was like late seventies probably. Um, and early eighties, something like that. Is that about right with John Lennon? Uh, with imagine that would have been mid seventies. Yeah. Okay. Mid seventies. And so it's, it's a classic. Everybody knows it. It's been around forever. It's one of those, it's easy to me. We're playing something that's aesthetic that everybody likes and what they're going to be watching on the floor is beauty. Ooh, damn, I'm wrong. 71. Sorry. I had to get that oh, right. Early 70s. Yeah. Wow. Because yeah. I think the Beatles broke up in 69 or 70. So he, he, he did that quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Thanks a lot. But yeah, Yoko. it's... Uh, yeah, I know. Yoko. But... Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... it's um, it's all those things that went into that. It's like, let's not overthink it. Let's please get the show done on time so we can get the performance dialed in. Um, because that makes a bigger difference than what people think. Um, the competitive thing that year was actually very interesting too. Um, when we went to our first regional, um, SoCal, I think we scored like 83 or 84, something like that. Um, honestly, because that's where they start, right? So yeah. if they think, like even today, if you go out to your first show beginning of February-ish and you score an 80, you're going to make finals. Um, 
that's the way it works. Um, and if they think that you're going to be up there, then they're going to, but they're not just going to throw out like an 88 or a 90 at the first show because then you have no room to grow the course of the season. Yeah. So, um, but honestly, if it was a score where based on just the criteria and stuff and the country at the time, like we would have scored a 90. I think we scored like a 95 or a 96 at WGI. I know it's a bucket five number. Um, that's just about how, how much. How prepared you yeah, were we, and also basing that off from the season before where you didn't feel like you got the job done. You were going to, no. you were going to come out in January smoking. Right. Well, we didn't go to any local shows. Um, we went to regionals that year and dance team shows and performed an exhibition. We didn't, <laughs> That's so funny. we didn't go to local shows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The local circuit wanted $700 plus another 150 they just didn't want us there is what it was. And I have no idea why. Um, it's the people that were running it and stuff like whatever. So we would just compete at dance team circuits and the crowds were bigger. And, and then we would go to like four or five regionals. That's where we got our shows in were regionals and we could afford to travel and do all the stuff. So, um, like that's how we operated. Um, and, um, Well, that's, that's interesting though. I, I think that's an important point. The idea of like, like you telling the, the team, look, we could do Mary had a little lamb, like let's go. Um, right. I, I think people agonize and, and you know, it's, it, that's, it's part of a creative process and, and creativity is agony <laughs> a lot of times. And, you know, you agonize right. about all these little details of the soundtrack, but at the same time, time it's like let's let's get it on let's get it on the floor let's get in the gym let's let's do the thing and let's get through this and yeah yeah i've i've had those seasons where if we're sitting there with a the full show and in, in february i mean almost every i've never regretted that <laughs> thinking oh we should we, we should have spent more time designing <laughs> you know right like right oh we well, just didn't design yeah. that well and no no, we, we, you never have enough time. You, you never, never, ever have enough time yes. with the yeah, performance and, well, side. Well, and really real quick about that is my standard is get the show done the second weekend of January. If you can do that, like the rough sketch where you're happy with everything, yeah, but you're going to develop and do things, but not like change structure. So we haven't changed structure where you go back and change soundtrack and change staging and thought since Oh two, we just stopped doing it. Like, let's make sure it's right before we go on period. Um, and you have to be honest with yourself. Um, it's like, I don't know. I'm just going to keep going. It's like, no, be honest with yourself. If something's bad, you look at it like this doesn't work. It doesn't work. Like, and if we spend a whole weekend working on something that doesn't work, I don't feel bad. It's like we found out what not to do is the way I yeah. look at it right. um, and make sure that it's right. So I made sure back then that uh, with the with um, designer, choreographer, that they kept that schedule so we could get prepared to be competitive at the end. Because at the end, the performance part of it matters so much. Yeah. And if 
any color gardens out there like for sure that they're going to catch everything. Everything's going to be clear. They would pay so much money. Like they don't have to be nervous watching the group, you know, Um, everything's going to be clear. It's going to be clean. They're going to throw, they're going to catch everything. They're not going to have any breaks. That's what box five basically means. And if you do the recovery so fast, nobody notices it. And um, you have to give the performers time. It's not about having just the information. The performers have to have time. And that's my schedule. And since we've been at Invictus, I've never been able to follow that myself. <laughs> like I can't, <laughs> right. I can't, I can't do it. I try. That's the goal. I come close, um, very close this past season. But um, it's like, wow, like props to those guys back then for doing that. Um, but again, that's why we were up where we were. Um, and then when we would go to regionals though that year, our score, like we were getting, as far as being in the top three, we were getting demolished. We went to the last regional and I'm talking to the chief judge and I'm seeing our competitors and we go to the last regional of the year, two weeks before WGI and um, we're out of the top three by four points. That's a lot, by the way, four, yeah. four and a half points. Can you believe that? Yeah. Like, wow. And, but I saw our competitors and I see what's going on and what it was is when we came out so prepared that year, uh, performance wise, um, because of the training and the system, um, everything that, that they were doing, which was so, some of the stuff was so difficult. They were d- handling it so well stylistically that it appeared to everybody watching it, judging it, that we weren't doing anything. Yeah, it was easy. When we're doing like so much more than, than a lot of the other groups, not all of them, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, we were doing so much and not getting the credit for any of it. Like we were getting like big, big because all the other groups, when they would do something, some major effect or so you could tell that the performers were still struggling. So by the time that we got into championships and then WGI and all of that was happening, all the other groups were dialed in. And now it's like, now it's, we can compare it completely to where if we had been struggling a little bit all season, we probably would have done a lot better competitively. Yeah. Interesting. We had to wait for everybody else's. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened because our, we didn't change anything that season. Like the, the, those changes that year from the first regional to the end were so minor. Yep. Very minor. Um, well, like, like, so it's like the show didn't really improve from an 84 or an 83 or whatever to a 96. It didn't improve 13 points. It improved about five, but for people to evaluate it properly, that's where our performance was so far ahead of process wise, what a lot of people were doing and nobody was used to seeing it. So they're thinking if they're handling it that well right now, the show's underwritten because that's what you tell an A-guard. They come out the first show, they catch everything. It's like, well, you got to challenge the performers. Nobody ever seen performers challenge and it performed that well before. And um, it took everybody else performing to catch it up. And when we got to WGI that year, we, basically got a bullet on the recap um that means the one on the ordinals <laughs> we call them bullets um in every caption in performance yeah. we got a one in equipment excellence we got a, a bullet a first place in the 
movement excellence. We got a one in um, composition excellence. We got two bullets in GE performance. Yeah. Where they, that was the performance of basically the day. Uh, well, uh, well, mixed with whoever got the other bullets, I guess it was a tie <laughs> performance wise. Yeah. Um, but that's, but that's where it was. It's like, so people really didn't know where to put us that year yeah. because, but I think that's why the appeal of that show is theirs. Performance wise, we, we had it figured out mood wise. We were establishing, um, we had every sort of effect that you could imagine in that show from emotional, aesthetic, intellectual, adrenaline, um, exchanges, stuff. Like we had it all going on and we made sure of that too. Like in the design process and yeah. how the show was put together. Well, and I, but there's, there is a thing that has switched people on with this show and it, it's another one of these iconic shows that, holds up and, and has held up over time and people, people will do the, the whole, you know, Oh my God, I got to show you this. Um, Oh, you haven't seen you. <laughs> you haven't seen Northern lights. Oh, six. Like, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things for people. Um, but I think what's really interesting about finals week and especially in this class is that, you know, to be competitive, especially to metal in this class you have to innovate and the the subtleties where you guys were innovating and where you chose to sand the the performance down to that like finest level um maybe you weren't getting credit for it competitively i think we did mid-season well, but, we did the, but where it landed well, yeah we where it landed is really interesting because sometimes that just happens in a season where these subtleties come out and everybody's at their most sensitive, su subtle dialed in level. And the thing you chose to sand down was a little bit different than that other group. And, but that's what resonated with people. Um, and I think that's part of why that show holds up too. Yeah. It's like, we, we like, like we were convinced that it was what we should be doing. I think maybe, some people make the choice where they feel that they did poorly at a regional. They've got to go back and redo the show. Yeah. And we're like, no, the show's fine and the performance is fine. So why would we, we still have these things that we're working on to get things dialed in. And we made some adjustments, small adjustments in the show. And plus we're detailing all the work all season and all that stuff. No, we just did that all year. And we made sure the performers were comfortable every time they performed. But like I said, at that point, we didn't have the struggle that our competitors were doing, so it looked like we weren't doing anything. Yeah. And by the time that everybody else's performance was um, similar, then you could actually see what we were doing and see what the difference was on the understanding of design and understanding of performance and all those things. Um, but like I said, we didn't change anything. Like, they were so small that year. And the year before, it was the same thing. It just took us forever to get the show done. And in 04, it was, we got it done so quickly. And again, we developed things, but we didn't restructure anything. Like, we just stopped doing that. Um, you have to be honest with yourself in that process. Yeah. Um, and you have to be able to feel at rehearsal and look at it and say, is this right or not? 
just because I did it, like, doesn't yeah. mean that it's good. Right. Like, yeah, this is not it. Okay, well, let's throw it all out and we'll start all over again and do something that's better. Um, instead of just like, no, we just need to keep moving. So, yeah, I've never gotten frustrated with um, a design team coming in and working all weekend and then throwing everything away. I'm glad they did if they don't think it's good. It's, yeah. it's just gonna it's gonna come up and bite us later. So, and by that point, we had worked together for so long, like it was easy. It was an easy season. Um, the performers, their energy at rehearsal, always positive, always pumped up, ready to work. Um, fun performances were all good. Um, all of that stuff. Um, we just didn't listen to the competitive thing and freak out and start changing things for no reason. We just stuck to our guns. It's like, we like it. We think it's good. Let's just keep dialing in the performance and it paid off for us. Yeah. Do you, I, this is like so juvenile. <laughs> do, do you have a favorite show that you've done? Like, would this be it? You don't want to do um, that? No, I, I, I can do that. Um, Northmont 1989 is one of my favorites because we made world-class finals for the first time. And I, I, put them on the floor. It was me and a bunch of high school girls and we made world-class finals. That's one of my favorite seasons of all time. Yeah. Um, I got to say in 1995 Northmont, when we did somewhere, that was our first 90 and standing ovation at WGI. I'm still writing choreography and stuff. It's when Joe came on board. That's where we started taking off. One of my favorite shows, 96, we got, standing ovation retreat because the audience didn't like our placement. Um, we got a standing ovation every show that year. We produced some effects. We got into the prop thing. Inferno, of course, because of the reaction still, people still know it. Um, and the reaction of that day in Phoenix. The first year in Portland was so difficult. One of the hardest errors of my life. I can still look back at that and say, I'm glad I did it and stuck with it because I wanted to go home a lot <laughs> during that season. Um, in 02, when you can put all those 18-year-olds on the floor and be in the top five in world class, that group, the way they rehearsed, it was, and the amount of growth that they went through, me adjusting my teaching system entirely, one of my favorite seasons of all time. Um, we produced a flag feature in 03 that was done to no tempo where the work is actually speeding up and slowing down as we saw fit musically with, with nothing to guide them other than energy. And we had that system figured out on how to teach that on how to get it locked in. Um, and we were like virtually flawless in finals where if I don't think we dropped anything and everything was clear and clean and every performer was giving, if there was a break, it was so minimal, it didn't matter. So I can look at that and say, you know what? It's like, this is what color guard is supposed to be like doing your job, doing the thing. Oh, four, the decision to go all male, doing the show in the round, the crowd reaction, that whole thing was super amazing. Being able to see the guys again, setting the world on fire in 05 with, um, 
the 300 plus exchanges we did in that show and catching stuff. And we had eight in that show too, with 14 boys that threw an eight. Um, and then the performance of John Lennon in 06. Like, so those are my favorites. <laughs> I cover everything. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> um, I'm not, well, I'm not done. Invictus <laughs> in um, 18, where we came back after that um, very rough first year. We got in a wreck and all that stuff. And we came back as a color guard. And we scored four points higher and made it in the semifinals. One of my favorite moments of all time. Yeah. Um, and then this past year with Invictus where we have the membership and we have the veterans. So we have the performers and the experience is cool and everybody loves each other. And we were very competitive and set up to make finals at WGI um, before a pandemic happened. That's one of my favorite seasons too. So, um, as far as the shows go, it's not about like what the show content was about. It's like, it's all these other things to me. So it's not of about course. the idea or the music or it's about like, what, what do we produce that year? Like what milestone do we reach? What thing do we do? What, what, what experience did the kids have? What do we provide for them? And so I pretty much just listed them. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I think you got all of them. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's a, a good place for us to, to put the bookmark. Thanks so much for listening to On Guard, a podcast by Invictus. You can help Invictus World Color Guard out by heading over to our Facebook page. We now have a donate button. Or you can head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Invictus World. Sign up for a monthly payment option. Help us out if you like what you hear. Give us a buck an episode.